Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of our Company Watch Coronavirus podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. <laughs> Good afternoon. We're recording this episode on a Thursday, the 7th of May, because uh, it's bank holiday tomorrow. And as I think we touched on last week, we've seen a, a slowdown of some of the big announcements. So we've got some time to pick up on some of the themes that we've had to put to one side over uh, previous weeks. And there are there are four areas I think we're going to look at today. Um, so I'll give a quick whiz through of, of what those are going to be and then Nick will um, do his beautiful um, summary and um, explanation of, of all those areas. So I think first of all, you know, we, we all knew that even before COVID-19 hit, the traditional high street was under serious threat. And now I think it, it seems to be on, on life support, frankly. Um, we've got some research on landlords to discuss, the national timeout campaign, and some pre-insolvency announcements in the hospitality se- hospitality sector to cover. Um, Nick has, has had a busy week this week, fielding calls from, uh, among others, the FT and the BBC on social care. And that, again, another sector that was really in trouble before COVID and whose business model is just a breaking point, it, it seems now. And our, our third um, theme, probably a small, a small area, but will emerge, I think, as we get a little bit more clarity about what's going to happen after we we get out of the the big lockdown, is the Centre for Economics and Business Research. It was a small study, but it's quite revealing, I think. They're they're talking about 500,000 British businesses being at high risk of insolvency and a threat to another 250,000 if lockdown persists for another month. And we're starting to see in the airline sector, BA, Virgin, Ryanair, have all announced job cuts or threatening to, to um, cut jobs. And there's a big threat to Gatwick as well. And I think that's going to have an impact on the local economies in that area being impacted. So, so again, looking at the, the localities in which these job cuts might hit, I think is going to be a really key area of, of risk analysis in the months to come. And then last of all, I wanted to talk about, this is something that I confess I'm not an expert on by by any means, and and I wanted to to just touch on about what's going to happen when all this money that is flowing into the economy has to be um, paid back, you know, the the debt, the the loans that are being uh, advanced. And, you know, typically you'd expect to see some inflation um, after this big pumping in of money. So I wanted to just ask Nick to, to think about the future, what that might hold in terms of inflation, interest rates, and what's going to happen to the economy as we enter into to payback time. So, Nick, no small task. <laughs> Over to you. Well, it never is. And there's, uh, frankly, so much news that it's, um, it's, it's really difficult to stay focused. Of course, the, the one really big thing that's happened, um, uh, and it happened this morning, which was irritating, but at least it did happen this morning, was, of course, the Bank of England um, came out with one of the most startling announcements um, of even my long career, Um, certainly dwarfs anything that was said at the time of the global financial crisis, um, when they said that they were anticipating a 25% drop in GDP in this current quarter, quarter two, 2020. Um, a 14% drop in GDP across the year as a whole. And 
Then the bit that I had more of a problem with, which was they said, but don't worry, because we think the economy will bounce back and there'll be 15% growth next year. I'm not sure where they got the magic mushrooms from for that, but we will see. I, I'm not actually, the thing that worries me is that what they didn't say was exactly how any economy could possibly grow at 15%. I mean, even in their wildest um, moments of expansionism, the Chinese didn't manage 15%, usually, I mean, 9%, 10%. I actually don't think an economy can grow at 15%, but hey-ho, we'll... Uh, Let alone one that has been through such a shock as we are going through now. Uh, yes, with another shock to come um, with a little issue beginning with a B. Well, that hasn't been really talked about because our deadline is is coming up in June, isn't it, where there's a go-no-go deal on... Yeah, 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 yes, it is. And of course, the... Um, the the issue there, I, I heard a very interesting conversation uh, on the radio about um, food supplies uh, after this, and, and this wasn't talking about the lack of Romanian uh, um, uh, carrot pickers. This was uh, talking about the problem of bringing food into the into the country after Brexit. Um, again, I don't want to get into politics. I'm, I'm 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 not interested in in that, and we are where we are. But I do find it interesting that the Michael Gove is talking about um, recruiting 50,000 officials to deal with customs documentation. Uh, so any idea that this is going to be seamless and frictionless is interesting. I don't care about the politics of that, but what I do care about is the impact of, uh, of an economy that is looking to bounce back from this sort of shock. So yeah, it's hard to see how that will. That I mean, yeah, we'll as you say, I think the politics that so we have to leave leave to one side, but it does we seem do. a quite a tall order, doesn't it, at the moment? Well, it well it well it does. So I, I think let's let's see um, uh, how this year goes. Uh, we'll be we'll be looking at it obviously on a regular basis. It'll be interesting to see what the Office for Budget Responsibility says when it does its next monthly forecast, which I think is in two weeks' time. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I mean, as, again, when we talked about that, we, that was pretty shocking. And now the Bank of England... Yeah, we thought, we, we thought they were crazy then, yeah. but um, there we go. Yeah. Um, so that's the macro position as far as the economy is concerned. Yes, the high street um, was in terrible trouble after a, you know, an appalling 2019, a really ropey Christmas um, and a lot of problems. And uh, you know, now... Um, there are winners. There are retailers that are doing exceptionally well at the moment. Um, the results from Hotel Chocolat were just stunning, just amazing. So we're obviously all buying chocolate online in, in, in this situation. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, yeah. So there, are, there are there are and you've got situations like uh, you can you've got forerunners of what's going to happen in the high street going on. So we have Debenhams um, pulling out of five stores. Um, you know, Debenhams already in administration and frankly um, uh, part of the walking dead in retail terms is because it couldn't hammer out a deal with its landlords um, closing five stores and next are going into those stores and have agreed to take the ground floors of each of those five stores and make them into a new concept called beauty, beauty something, I can't remember the exact name, which they have trialed before. And, and you know, what you need to take from this is they're no fools because a lot of department stores make all their profit on the ground floor in the beauty department. Oh, that's interesting. All of it. Mm-hmm. Although, and, lockdown. You know, yeah, I, mean, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. I know, I know. But uh, anyway, that's just a, but the high street. I mean, watch this space. It's interesting that the the major shoe retailer and manufacturer, Clark's, 
has um, gone into discussion about its future mode uh, yesterday, I think, it, I think it was, and interestingly has managed to um, commission three of the big four accounting firms to represent different stakeholders in the in, in the business. So the um, the professional services bills for that uh, that that restructuring will be very interesting. Um, we uh, something we didn't talk about last time. Again, but let's drop it in very quickly this time um, about landlords. And this all started with the high street and brands um, re- refusing to pay uh, rent and landlords complaining bitterly that landlords that tenants who could afford to pay were not paying. I mean, one uh, property CEO took a took a pop at Boots about that, but there are there are others. Um, we know that uh, the government is is for reasons of expediency, I assume, apparently violently pro-tenant and has neutered the the landlords. So you can not pay your rent with impunity and there is nothing a landlord can do about it right now. We'll see what happens as time well, That runs to the end of June, isn't it? I think at the moment that... That goes on to the end of June. Um, I, I just wanted to bring to everybody's attention the fact that there was some very interesting uh, research done by um, the uh, Radius Property Exchange, um, which pointed out that 60% of all retail space, the landlord is either the public through a local authority or through charities, or else they are real estate investment trusts where pension funds are major investors. So that sounds very complicated. The bottom line is that 60% of the high street is owned by you and me. And so that's, it's, that's a shocking statistic, isn't it? Because I think we all, there is that, that concept of the, the big landlord sitting yeah. on a pile of cash doesn't really need help. But it's so much more complex. And, that, and of course, yeah. on the local authority side, of course, the business rates um, holiday. So they're already yes. being, being yeah. um, impacted there as well. Yes. Um, uh, we, you talked about some pre-insolvency announcements in hospitality, um, the uh, Thai restaurant chain Busaba is talking to KPMG about its future. Interestingly, it's private equity owned. Interesting. Um, and the burger chain Byron has started what it describes as, and we, we keep seeing this phrase, accelerated sales process, also through KPMG, and it's also private equity owned. What this should tell everybody is beware risk supply chain risk or um, credit risk with anything that is private equity owned because these people they're getting out the answer is they do not throw good money after bad they have no emotional attachment i know they squeal every time i say this in public which i do all the time but the answer is they ain't the sort of owner of a business that you as a supplier or a buyer of goods from needs to have in your corner because they won't be there so that's just very quickly on hospitality you touched on social care i have seen to spend most of my time on the bbc or talking to the financial times this week because of course the major crisis in social care is what's is are the awful things coming out about what's been happening in care homes during the crisis and i don't belittle that for one moment but what it um is beginning to emerge as is a huge financial crisis in the care sector. Um, 
two of the three major players um, are appealing for help. One of them, the biggest care home operator in the country, has announced that it uh, is in talks with its bankers because it is going to breach its banking covenants. And the chief executive of the um, trade body for independent care home operators, so the, the little ones, is has basically gone um, gangbusters, saying the whole sector is going to go bust if you don't do something about it. And the, the main problems there are lower occupancy rates. What's happened is that, broadly speaking, a care home begins to have some possibility of making money at around 85 to 90% occupancy. Um, it was round about 80 88% across the across one of the major care home operators um, when this started. The occupancy rate is dropping at half a percent a week at the moment. Uh, so that's money straight off the top line. And of course, their um, agents that they're having to bring in agency staff to cover staff who are self-isolating or who have got coronavirus. The rate of one um, nursing uh, agency for a for a qualified nurse for a care home. Um, has gone up from £35 an hour to £90 an hour. Wow. I think that's an outlier, but it's indicative of price pressures. Mm. And, and of course, like, equipment, you know, the and, and of PPE equipment, you know, everybody's price gouging um, mm. on PPE equipment. So it's a nightmare. Care homes weren't making money before, so this is just awful. And I mean, we've said this before, haven't we? It's those, those, um, those companies that were, were debt, ridden and were were surviving on the the kind of profit just about coming in to cover their their outgoings have just can't survive this this type of shock um when they're being you know on both sides costs and revenues go both going in the wrong direction um well if i told you that the four major care home chains in the last four years have lost um slightly over a billion pounds and they've paid £980 million in interest. <gasps> Sorry, too, too, the numbers are too big. And it, well, they're so, too big to even... And it's people's lives. I think that's the other thing that we always come back to with this. It's, it's yeah. people's futures and... It's and people's future. lives. It's the, most, it's the most frail and the most vulnerable in society, and it's appalling. Mm-hmm. Um, the government will have to do something about it. Um, but again, don't get, don't get me started politically because I think nationalisation is the only answer here mm. and I would I don't want a major care home chain to go bust to force the government into recognising it no, but I fear it might. Um, we talked briefly about the Centre for uh, Economic and Business Research study, only 500 businesses they studied, uh, you covered the numbers, 500,000 uh, businesses at high risk of insolvency, another quarter of a million if the lockdown persists for another month. Um, the survey said that the profits of the 500 firms surveyed were down by 29% in the first 30 days of the lockdown. I mean, in, in a way, I'm surprised that that's so low because anecdotally, mm. I've been hearing, you know, half. Half, I know. Well, it's a, like all surveys, it's, a, it, it's an average. So we'll see uh, what happens. You, you touched on the point about local contagion. And I think it's really important for people involved in risk management to understand that, that you know, sometimes it's good to look at the, the national picture. Sometimes you have to be very granular. Mm-hmm. And if, you're, if you've got risk um, in a particular area, in a particular, you know, say, you're, say you've got risk around Gatwick, not with Gatwick particularly, but around Gatwick, just think about what's about to happen to Gatwick with no BA and no, uh, and no Virgin. 
It's not the end of the airport. And the furlough scheme, you know, there's 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 noises about the furlough scheme actually not carrying on or not carrying on the same form beyond the end of June. You know, who knows what will happen there? But you know, clearly the the kind of warning shots are being fired to say actually we can't carry on this indefinitely. And so for those those companies about making cuts. And, and, and no doubt the wind down of that scheme will be as blunt an instrument as, as its introduction was. Wow. And there will be there will be horrific stories which will fill the news bulletins on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're getting we're getting pushed on time. Very quickly about um, the economics of all of this. The old joke: if you laid all the economists in the world um, end to end, they'd never reach a conclusion. Um, <laughs> if you look at three economists' uh, opinions at the moment about inflation and interest rates, you will get three different opinions. You might get four. Um, the general view is that a lot of money going into the economy from the government, uh, some of it from the Bank of England, but also from the Bank of England itself. Mm. And the point I wanted to make was that everybody's worried this will create inflation. Let's just get this absolutely straight. Inflation only comes from money in the hands of the public and when they spend it. If it, you know, um, uh, creating money in the Bank of England's balance sheet will not create inflation on its own. It's when people, when that money filters through um, and when they spend it. And my worry about that um, is will spending, you know, will people. Let me put it another way. Um, I said money in the hands of the public causes inflation, but also it's money spent by the public that creates inflation, not money used to repay debts or money being saved for the second infection spike or a rainy day. Because a lot of people have been burnt. I've heard a lot of people saying, I'm never getting in this situation again, people on furlough or who are on universal credit, I'm going to save and save and save when I get a job, and I'm not going to spend money. And I think it'll take a, a while. We'll see. We'll, let's come back to this in time. To, to well, come. I think it's, it's definitely worth picking up, because then there's a link to um, interest rates, again, historically low. Can they stay? I mean, I think the broad consensus is that interest rates will stay stay low, but I still think that's, yeah. worth, that's worth maybe picking up on. It, it, it is, and a final sort of um, uh, screeching Jeremiah from me in the back of the room. Um, do remember that the nearest thing to what's happening now was the Great Depression in the 1930s. And what happened in the 1930s wasn't inflation, it was deflation because people stopped spending because they didn't have any money, no safety net of, of, of you know, government schemes in those days, at least not until the New Deal came along. And so they stopped spending money, production collapsed, but not as fast as consumption collapsed. And so you had not enough spending chasing too many goods. The um, uh, businesses the pressure on prices and it cut costs, uh, cut prices, mm-hmm. and the public, not being idiots, said, "That's interesting. If I wait another two weeks, maybe the prices will be lower." Mm-hmm. And consumption, actually, some of the figures for the 1930s are truly extraordinary. Not just in America, but in the UK and and, and places like Italy, for example. Um, so. Let's hope we don't get deflation, which is really not good for the uh, yeah. for the economy. But I, I I don't see a big inflation risk. I and I hope I'm right about that. Yeah. So that's my overview of a very odd week. Well, thank you very much, um, Nick. I think, um, as I say, we, we're recording on um, the seventh of May, so we've got Boris's big speech due on Sunday night at the end. And I guess he's hoping that we will keep lockdown um, over the bank holiday weekend. Um, 
And I think we, it's very difficult, isn't it, to the, the, the big issue is what the kind of stages for the economy to come out. A social lockdown, of course, all of us are desperate to, to have a bit of freedom, whether we'll actually use it when it comes to comes to being allowed out, whether we'll, we'll take the plunge, who knows. But it is really just how is the economy going to start to, to get back mm-hmm. into um, some kind of functioning? And, and I guess we'll have more, more on that next, next week. Yeah. Okay. So thank you very much, everybody, for, for listening. Thanks so much to, to Nick. I think you've, you've got a well-deserved gin and tonic break coming up. So um, <laughs> I shall let you, let you get off to that and won't keep you any longer. And as always, any, any ideas for, for future topics, please let us know. So Nick, goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. Goodbye. Okay. Bye.